Good morning, Woodland Hills. You look marvelous this morning. And good morning, pod listeners, or good evening, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, middle of the night, doesn't matter. Um, I want to make one word of clarification here. Uh, the baptism that will be held on January 28th is an indoor baptism. Okay, so I want to make sure you, you know that. I'm thinking that if it was at Lake Phelan, we wouldn't have a whole lot of takers. But uh, if you've never been baptized uh, as, as an adult, we, we encourage you to consider that. And, and taking these classes doesn't mean you're committing to doing that. You're just finding out what it's about, uh, and then you can make an informed decision about it. But I encourage you to, to look into that. And uh, the, this, this stands for a Pura Vida. That's their the Costa Rica missions trip T-shirt. It, it, it means pure life, pure life. Be a great name for a rock band, don't you think? Not as good as not dead yet, but it's, uh, you know, pure, pure life. Pura Vida. Um, and they, you know, they go on this trip every January to Costa Rica. And so I'm thinking some of you might be hearing the call of God. Given the last week that we've had, uh, Costa Rica in January doesn't sound like a bad idea at all. All right, so a lot of you know this. Um, but I have a son who is uh, on the autism spectrum. He's got high-functioning autism with some learning disabilities. And uh, one of the effects that that has is, is it's hard for him to feel like in place. Uh, he's always felt sort of out of place in the world. And, and that creates a lot of social anxiety for him. In fact, a, a major motivation of his life is to try to cover up that space that he perceives between himself and the rest of the world, uh, to try to fit in, to try to be normal. Um, and for that reason, a goal that we've always had for him, a high priority, is, is to get him out of his apartment and get him into social context uh, where he can you know, be part of humanity. He can feel like he's part of something um, and, and kind of acclimate to that. So for the last four years, uh, a little more than that actually, Nathan and I on almost every Wednesday, hardly ever miss, um, we go out to his favorite restaurant. It's uh, the Nook over in St. Paul. And they've got this juicy Lucy that he just loves, this, or big, big guy bite or whatever it's called. This giant burger, it's stuffed with cheese, and he just, every week he gets that. Yeah, he just loves it, devours it. And I get my little mushroom Swiss veggie burger. Uh, but they make a really good mushroom Swiss veggie burger. And, uh, and, and we, we, we just have this night out. We call it our B&B night, uh, our, our beer and burger night. Uh, and and uh, we've been going there for four years, so when we walk in, the workers all recognize us, and they say hi. And when they come by, they say hi. And there's this delightful young lady uh, who has been the bartender there for the four years we've been going. And um, uh, she's gotten to know us pretty well, and she gets Nathan. And so whenever her workload permits, she comes over and talks to us. And, and it's, just, it's so meaningful to him. I mean, Females, the only females he ever talks to are his, his mom and his sisters. And, and so to be having a normal conversation with this normal lady, and we're just normal guys in this normal place, uh, it, it just ministers to him. He doesn't have any social anxiety there. He looks forward to it. Uh, it it's just about fitting in. It's just about belonging to something. In fact, he calls, he calls the nook his cheers. Uh, you know, because sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And, uh, and in the truth, there's only one person knows his name there, but it feels like this is his place. You know, this is where he belongs. And it gives us a chance to catch up, which, with, and to make contact, which is sometimes hard to do with, with, with my son. Now, in, in explaining this, um, that maybe doesn't sound like the most spiritual thing in the world. And like I imagine, some folks could hear this if you're new to Woodland Hills or new to our podcast, and, and you might be hearing that is pretty unspiritual, I mean, what kind of a pastor brings his son to a bar and has a beer? 
for crying out loud. I thought you said you're a Christian there. Uh, but I beg to differ. Of course, if, if you're struggling with alcoholism, uh, you know, a beer and burger night maybe isn't a good idea. Just make it a bee night, a, a burger night. Uh, but for my boy and I, this time to, to be out there, uh, it is, it, it is it, it's sacred. It, it's as kingdom and as spiritual as a church service uh, or as a prayer meeting because it's about relationships. It's about him having a relationship with this, this, this bartender and with other people in this room. Uh, and, and it's about us building our relationship together. And, and really, the kingdom is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And, and so this is, I, I think, a sacred time. We in the West tend to compartmentalize things. Uh, we, 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 we tend to divide the, divide the world up into sacred and secular categories. And, and church and prayer meetings and worship services get, get under the sacred category, but beer and bars get under the secular category. But I submit to you that is a false compartmentalization. Uh, that if you have a kingdom mindset, uh, then, then, then the world is the kingdom uh, because Jesus Christ is Lord of the entire world. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over all of our relationships, and the kingdom is all about relationships. And, and so where, there are relate, where there's relationship building, where love is being forged and deepened, uh, where wounds are being healed, uh, where a son is learning how to acclimate to the world and feel like he belongs, God is there, and that is sacred space. And I don't care if it's on your porch or your backyard or the bathroom or a bar. It's sacred space. Think about this. Jesus, Jesus was, I think we'd all agree, 100% kingdom 100% of the time, right? He's God incarnate. He's the walking, talking dome over which God is king, the king's dome. That's the kingdom. And so never was he not the kingdom. But if you read the Gospels, you may have noticed that he didn't spend all of his time in a synagogue and all of his time praying. He prayed and he went to the synagogue, but most of his time was spent hanging out with people. Uh, not just to minister to them, though he did a lot of that, but he went to parties, he went to a wedding feast, he, he went to dinners. It's, Luke even tells us he, he dined with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors. Uh, he just built relationships with people. Uh, and, and in doing that, he wasn't taking a break from the kingdom. He was manifesting the kingdom because the kingdom is all about relationships. And that shouldn't surprise us because the Bible tells us that God is love and love is a relationship. And so where, there is, where love is being deepened and relationships are being forged and healed and whatnot, God is there and that's a kingdom thing and that's a sacred thing. Uh, and I say all that to say this. We're, 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 we're going to be uh, starting this week, starting today, talking about relationships. We have a new series on relationships. Um, we're calling it Next Level Relationships because we're looking at how we can take all of our relationships, whether it's your, your spouse or with your kids or with your friends or your neighbors or whatever, and, and, and how, how we can take them to the next level defined by the kingdom. How, how can we bring more of the kingdom into these relationships? How can we bring more of God's uh, uh, wholeness and, and, and healing power into these relationships? How do we take our, our relationships to the next level of the kingdom and make them more whole? And, and, uh, and make them more aligned with what uh, God would want them to be. So this morning, I'm going to just lay the foundation for this series. Uh, it's a, a theological foundation. Um, and I want to warn you that see, when we're talking about uh, relationships, God's goal for relationships, I'll talk about God's goal for relationships and then why that goal is so rarely attained in this world. But this takes us to, really, God's purpose for creating the world. And we're going to get kind of deep here. God's purpose for creating the world and, and what's wrong with this world. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit theologically intense. Uh, for some of you, it will be a review if you've been around here for a while. Uh, but if you haven't heard this before, it's, it's going to be kind of packed. So I'm going to encourage you to put your thinking caps on and lean into this. I'll also tell you that 
for whatever reasons, and this message, I, I, I envisioned almost everything I was thinking about. And, and so we've got more diagrams in this message than I think any message I've ever given before. So you're going to get a lot of pictures. Thank you, Trevor, for putting together the pictures. I tell him what I'm thinking. He tries to capture it on a diagram. If they help, good. If they don't, just ignore them. But uh, uh, hopefully they'll bring some clarity to things. So let's start by looking at this prayer, this profound prayer uh, that's found in John chapter 17. Jesus, among other things, he prays this. And every word of this prayer is so packed with significance. Listen carefully. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The they that Jesus is referring to is his disciples, but clearly he, his, his hope is that the whole world will become his disciples, so the whole world can believe. So this is, he's expressing here God's heart for the world. May they, may they be in us as we are in one another, he says to the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. The glory is just the radiance of his love. So that they may be one as we are one. Just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. That's a great prayer. Um, There's two things I want us to get out of this prayer. And they both have to do with this phrase that Jesus uses, just as, or even as. They both have to do with this. First, Jesus prays that to the Father that, that uh, as, as, as we are one, as you are in me and I am in you, may they, be, may they also be in us. He's saying the same way that, that, that you and I are one, and this would apply to the whole Trinity, the same way that, 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 that the Trinity is united in perfect love, may they in that same way dwell in us. And so his prayer is that the perfect love of the triune God, the love that God eternally is, that that love, that same love would be replicated in the way that God dwells in us and in the way that we dwell in him. Same exact love. That's why Jesus says that, that you, Father, have loved them even as you've loved me. The same love you have for me is now given to them. Folks, this is mind-boggling if we grasp it. Because it means that that you are loved not with a secondary love, a derivative love, a watered-down kind of a love. You're, God loves you with the same love that God has for God's own self as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The same love, that infinitely intense, that unsurpassable love that God is, that defines God throughout eternity, is now directed towards you. Uh, think about this the next time you're feeling unloved. God's whole being is towards you, poured out towards you. And, so, and his goal is that the, the love that unites God throughout eternity would now be uniting himself with you and you with him as he dwells in you and you dwell in him. So that's the first thing. The God, God's love is to be replicated towards us. And this is God's goal for creation we're talking about here. Secondly, Jesus prays, may they be one even as we are one. So Jesus is here praying that the, the, the perfect love of the triune God would be replicated, not just in the way that God relates to us, but also then in the way that we relate to one another. So we can think of it like this. God is perfect love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In all eternity, God is a perfect love relationship. God's goal for creation, then, is to have this perfect relationship, this perfect love, replicated towards us. 
uh, that, that we, we'd be enveloped, and all of humanity would be enveloped in this perfect love of the triune God. We could call this the vertical replication of God's love, using an up and down metaphor. God wants to pour himself out into us. The same love that he has for himself is now directed towards us. The vertical replication. And then, as a result of that, we have the, the horizontal replication of God's love. Jesus prays that we would be one in a way that reflects the oneness of God. As his love is poured into us, we overflow with that love towards one another. And so God's goal for creation, folks, it comes down to this. And it's, it, it couldn't be more beautiful than it is. It's a spectacular thing because the goal for creation is for the whole creation and every part of the creation and everything and everyone in creation to be a sort of prism that reflects that, that reflects the perfect love of God. Uh, the, the, his goal for creation is that the, the whole thing would mirror, would, would be a mirror of his perfect love. And that way the love's kind of expanded. Uh, it, it, it's, put, it's put on display. Uh, this is what we mean when we say that the world was created for the glory of God, or at least what we should mean when we say the world's created for the glory of God, because some people got really screwed up ideas about what the glory of God is. But the glory of God is simply the reflection of his perfect love. It's the love that was revealed on Calvary, which is why Jesus says that he'll glorify the Father when he's lifted up, when he's crucified. Uh, that, that's the perfect expression of the kind of infinitely intense love that God is. And Jesus says, the glory that you've given to me, I've given to them. Uh, why? Because the way that I'm shining God's love is the way that they're going to be shining God's love. And the goal is for the whole creation and every part of the creation to be shining God's love. It's a beautiful design. God couldn't have a more lofty, noble, wonderful, beautiful goal for creation and for each one of us in creation than he, in fact, has given us. This is God's purpose for creation. Amen? Now, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news and uh, disappoint anybody, but you may have noticed that the world right now isn't quite like that. Uh, some of you who are more astute, uh, it doesn't seem like our horizontal relationships are always consistently a manifestation of God's perfect triune love. Uh, in fact, the reality is in this fallen world, uh, we have a whole lot of the opposite going on. I mean, you, you turn on your television and what you get, there's just such nastiness going on, isn't there? Isn't, people are so mean today. We're losing basic decency. I mean, why can't we just say, hey, I disagree with your opinion? We got, there's the name calling and you're an idiot, you're a moron, you're stupid, and, and it's, there's so much meanness in, in, in the atmosphere these days. Uh, you turn it on television, and you get meanness. You turn it on social media, on Twitter. There's people being mean. All right, so mean. It's not at all a reflection of God's perfect love. Uh, this, this, this toxicity that's in this environment here. And it's that way all over the globe. And let's be honest, in our own relationships, few of us would say that they consistently reflect the perfect love of the triune God. Our horizontal relationships are broken. And the question is why? What's wrong with the world? Why is this world so messed up? And the minute you ask that question in a fallen world environment, the inclination of fallen people is to pin the blame on somebody else. I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. It's those nasty Republicans. I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. It's those stupid Democrats. It's crap, crap. I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. It's, it's those terrorists or it's those criminals or it's the immigrants. Or, you know, we've all got someone we're going to blame the brokenness of the world on. Um, and that just further breaks the world. When, when, when we're asking the question of what's wrong, a more biblical, more godly, more humble approach would be to say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with each one of us? How do we contribute to the brokenness of the world? There's a lot of explanations you could give for why various relationships are broken, but at the root of all of them is this. Um, our horizontal relationships are fragmented because our vertical relationship is fragmented. The reality is, and this is getting us to the core of what it is to be human, 
our capacity to replicate the perfect love of the triune God towards others is completely dependent on the, the, the reality of God's triune love being replicated in us vertically. Our horizontal love depends on our receiving the, the, the vertical love. Our, our, our horizontal, the health of our horizontal relationships will never outrun the health of our vertical relationship. And that's how God designed it. We can't crank this out on our own. We can't be the source of this on our own. We can only give what we have received, and that requires us to have this healthy vertical relationship where God's pouring his life and love into us. And I want to understand why this is the case. And, and here I'm getting to the core issue of every human heart. And this is because it's so core, I come back to this quite a bit. Uh, but it's material that is worth reviewing a lot of times because this is foundational to everything. Every human being is created with a God-shaped hole in their heart, a vacuum. Um, it's a vacuum that only God can fill. That's why I say it's God's shape. We have this desperate, desperate need to receive that love that God wants to pour into us, the love that he is. We're created with that addiction, if you will, and it does not go away. Um, it is the most fundamental driving force in, in every human life, though most people aren't even aware of it. We, we experience this as a longing for love and a longing for significance, a longing to feel like your life matters, that, that, that you've got some importance, uh, a, a longing, and a longing to be secure in this. We, every heart longs for this. And this is the most fundamental motivator of human action, the, the, the need to count and the, the need to, to feel like you contribute and that you're not alone and that you're secure. Fundamental driving force. And see... We can only love the way God calls on us and creates us to love if, if that hole is being filled by God pouring his love into it. Uh, we, we can only overflow if, if, in fact, filled to the full and then some. Um, and, and, and so that our core need for significance and worth and, and, and security and, and the experience of love, that that is being met out of our vertical relationship with God. It can over, only overflow if we're being filled. The thing is this, uh, to be filled with the life and the love that comes from God, that is God, uh, that requires, A, that we trust God, we completely trust God, which means you've got a correct picture of God that's trustworthy, and B, it means that we have to be open and surrendered to God. Um, you can't pour anything into a cup that's got a lid on it, and you can't pour anything into a heart that's got a lid on it. But a lid is precisely what we put on our heart when we're not looking to God and trusting God to be the source of our life and worth and significance and, 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 and security. And so when we put a lid on our heart because we're not surrendered to him and we're not trusting him, the minute we do that, we start to feel the suction, that hunger, that need in us. We start to feel like our life is insignificant, like our life doesn't count, like our life isn't important, and that we're not secure. Uh, you can say this, that the, the, if we're not going to God as the source of our life, our core need for life and significance and worth, if we're not trusting in God, we suck. <laughs> because we become, we become like black holes. And, and, and so what we do is we try to fill that vacuum there by what we, what we can do and what we can get. And the whole world turns into this sort of stage of idols because an idol is anything that plays a role in our life that only God is supposed to play. 
And so we try to find life and significance and worth by, by how pretty we are, or how good we can throw a football, or how religious we are, or how many Bible verses we know, or how right our opinions are, or whatever. There's just all these idols, and now we're trying to suck life from those idols. We're not overflowing. We're sucking. We're vacuums. And the whole world becomes a stage of idols. And, and that can't help but affect our relationships. Because, see, now... Instead of entering into a relationship out of a fullness of life that you get from God and overflowing in life into this relationship, instead of pouring life into the relationship, inevitably, to some degree, when we enter into these relationships with an empty heart, we try to suck life out of the relationship. We, 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 we feed on the relationship. So instead of God's design that we have here on the left, where we'd over, relationships would be done out of an overflow of abundance in our heart, and then we overflow towards one another, instead we have this inflow where we come into this with empty hearts and I'm now going to use you to, to, to meet some sort of need in my life and you're going to use me to some degree to meet some need in your life. And relationships in this fallen world, in this vacuum world where people aren't getting their life from, from God, they're, they're all to some degree conditional. Uh, I love you because of. I love you because you're so pleasant to look at. I love you because uh, you do this for me. You make me feel good. You laugh at my jokes. I love you because we have the same kind of interests. But it's conditional. There's a quid pro quo quality to all these. I, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And, and, and we're, we're getting a need met there. And other humans should meet some needs there, but not the need, not, not that core need for worth and significance and security and, 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 and to feel complete. You know that sappy, sappy, super sappy, terribly sappy phrase that's used in some romantic movies? You, know, you, you complete me. You complete me. If anyone says to that, says that to you with a romantic interest, say, hey, well, go and get a life and then come back. Uh, I'll talk to you later. You're not supposed to be, you complete me. But see, the truth is that in the fallen world, if we're going into relationships with a vacuum, well, to some degree, that sappy, sappy phrase is true. We enter into these things to get completed. We're trying to get something. We're trying, there's a benefit to us. There's, we're trying to get full of something. We're trying to scratch that itch that will not go away, that hunger in the core of our being. And, and this is why in this fallen world, uh, when the because of, when the condition for which you love this other person as a friend or as a neighbor or as a spouse, uh, when, when that condition disappears, when the because of goes away, the relationship goes away. If I'm loving you because you're pleasant to look at, well, then if you ever stop being pleasant to look at, the relationship's gone. And this is why there's so many broken hearts in this fallen world. Uh, it just doesn't last. Our soul longs for this unconditional love that's about us, not on any particular attribute. And when we're not loved that way, our hearts get broken. And this is also why, I might say this, um, why in this fallen world, Jesus' instruction to love enemies makes no sense at all. Right? Why would you love somebody who doesn't benefit you another way? In fact, why would you love someone who maybe is going to rob some of your benefits? Uh, that just makes no sense. You can only love an enemy let alone a life-threatening enemy, if you are getting the, your core need to even stay alive and your core need for significance met from your creator in your vertical relationship. All of our horizontal relationships require that the vertical relationship with God is solid and is life-giving. And see, this emptiness that people walk around with, it's the source of all the conflict in this world. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's, it's at the root of all of them. And I want us to see why. Um, and so here's another picture I had. In God's design, since God is to be the source of our core need for life, worth, significance, being loved, and security, 
uh, since God would be the source, he'd also be the center. Because the center of our existence is this need to count, this need to be loved, this need to be secure. So God wants to be the center around which our world rotates. And not just our center personally, but for all of humanity. And so God is this infinite reservoir of love and life and overflows towards us as our center. And then we get filled and then we overflow towards others. That's how it's supposed to be. And notice that in this design, God's purpose for creating the world, uh, in this design there, there would be no conflict because there's no competition. We all have the same center in common, and that center is limitless. We don't have to worry about a scarcity of resources or about getting shortchanged or anything. There'd be no conflict here. So the, the, the wholeness and the unity and the shalom that is God's own being would be replicated among human beings. There'd be no cause for conflict. But what happens is this, that when God is, when we're not trusting God and, and surrendering to God to get that life, uh, when God's no longer our source, he stops being our center. In fact, when God's no longer our source, we start being our own center. Because we are little black holes. We are, we are suction devices. We, we now will look at the world through our neediness. And, and, and uh, look at the world as a stage of idols that are potential food to make us feel the, the way that we, we, we know that we're supposed to feel. Feel like our life is significant and counts and that we're loved and things like that. So now, we become like this black hole. And we're trying to fill that hole with fame and wealth and good looks and achievements, possession, status, ethnicity, being right. You know, you feel like you're worthwhile because you're always right about things. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, and, and we're trying to suck life out of that. We're little vacuums, black holes, just feeding off our environment. And the thing is, here's why conflict comes into play. You put two black holes in a room, they're going to be sucking off each other. They're going to be, there's only so many resources to go around. And so now they have to compete for them. Right? So you have two black holes, and, and, and now you're trying to get life from the achievements and fame and wealth. But it's like a tug of war. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. And so the world's now this feeding frenzy of idols. You know, a bunch of sharks just going after idols like, like they would bloody meat or something. This analogy is terrible. Uh, <laughs> scratch that. But, but, but it's a feeding frenzy out there. And so it's like this. If, 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 if part of my source of life is uh, believing that I am the best-looking guy in, in the room, uh, but your life, your sense of life is also thinking that you're the best looking guy in the room. Uh, well, if we're both in the same room, we got a problem here. Because you ain't that good looking. You know? And then you're thinking the same thing about me. And so now there's this tension. And that's how it is for every possible idol you can imagine. It's a competition thing. Uh, and this is where jealousy comes from, where envy comes from, where hostility and, and violence, it all comes from this. We're not getting the vertical relationship uh, right our vertical relationship gets, gets, gets fragmented, and so we become self-centered and get into, then it, it undermines our horizontal relationships. You see this really clearly in the first story in the Bible about a broken relationship. Adam and Eve, right, in Genesis 3. Um, their vertical relationship with God got ruined because they believed the serpent's lie. They stopped trusting God. They stopped trusting him for life. That's what that tree of life in the middle of the garden is all about. And uh, uh, so they, they become their own center. And they're now going to meet their own needs. And that's why they disobey God and eat from that forbidden tree. And the minute they do that, their horizontal relationship with one another begins to suffer. Uh, one of the things the Lord says to Eve when he shows up um, in Genesis 3, verse 16, he says, Eve, your desire will be towards your husband, but he will rule over you. Now that word for desire is uh, in Hebrew is teshuka. And it has the connotation of to desire to manipulate, to, to, to try to control. 
And the word for rule, Michelle, Michelle is, is, has, a, has a connotation of to lord over or even to subdue, to conquer. And the Lord, this isn't like God's great plan for marriage, by the way. <laughs> He's not saying this is the way it's supposed to be. He's rather, in, in the Hebrew, it's in a descriptive, not a prescriptive voice. He's saying this is the way it's going to be because you, you broke the vertical relationship. Now your horizontal relationship is going to suffer. God's plan was for, uh, to pour his life into both of these uh, uh, spouses. And so they'd be filled and then they'd overflow towards one another. And that overflowing towards one another would look like mutual respect and mutual support and mutual submission, mutual service, mutual affirmation. The mutuality of the two would reflect the mutuality of the triune God. And, and, and the, the, the marriage would become a, a little mirror of the love of the triune God. And that is God's plan for marriage, by the way. That's what he's still looking after. But what the Lord is saying is that this beautiful one flesh relationship that he had planned for this marriage is now going to become a sick power struggle where the woman's going to be trying to connive and control and get her way by manipulating the man, but the man, because they tend to have superior strength, is going to be dominating the woman. And, and so this beautiful thing now turns into part of the feeding frenzy of idolatry uh, in, in this world. If Adam and Eve had been still getting all of their life worth significance from their relationship with God, they never would have needed to engage in this power struggle. The manipulate, whenever you see manipulation and control and domination, you are looking at a needy person who's trying to fill some hole in their soul by thinking they're important, they get to be in charge, and they get their way, and so on and so on. It's part of the broken world. Wherever the vertical relationship gets fragmented, the horizontal relationships get fragmented, and you're not going to fix the horizontal relationships until you get the vertical relationship fixed. And this is how it is for all of our, for, for all of our relationships of any sort, whether it's marriage or with kids or neighbors or coworkers or whoever. Uh, there's a lot of explanations you could give as to why maybe you are having marital problems. And you need to work through those issues. I'm not minimizing those issues. Those, yeah, you got to work through those. Um, but at the root of the whole thing, and what will keep on sabotaging this thing, is that, that people are not getting their fullness of life from their vertical relationship with God. The Trinity is not being replicated horizontally, so it can't get replicated. Uh, it's not getting replicated vertically, so it can't get replicated horizontally. And coming into a relationship with a full heart that's full of life from God, it's not going to fix everything automatically. I'm not offering a magic wand here or something. But it is the necessary first step that allows things to get fixed. Because now you're, you can bring life to the relationship rather than trying to suck life out of the relationship. And that applies, folks, to all of our relationships. The best thing you can do for all of your relationships, then, is for you to be investing deeply in your vertical relationship with God. You know, so there's, there's some Christians out there who kind of minimize you know, this, your personal relationship with God, and they're into social action. We need to be social active and justice and all that. Uh, folks, that is a false dichotomy if ever there was one. Um, all the social action in the world is not going to do much if you're not, if you're not operating out of fullness. You go into social action uh, with an empty heart, it becomes one more idol. Look what I'm doing for the world. And that inevitably, in one way or another, further breaks the world. When empty people try to fix the world, they just make it more empty and more broken. Uh, everything hangs, the linchpin of everything hangs on this vertical relationship. And so the best thing you can do for all your relationships is to spend time just, just it, 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 receiving that life and that love that God wants to pour into you. I sometimes just have time, I'll put on some beautiful music, and, and, and I just envision, like, God's love as this, like, Niagara Falls 
water. You know, have you ever seen Niagara Falls? The power of that water just crashing down. And I envision myself as this little pebble at the bottom of the ravine. And all that water just crashes onto me. And I'm just drowning in this, this endless love this end, and feeling this, this infinite worth and significance and value and feeling so secure in this. And as this Niagara Falls you know, bounces on me and I drink it deeply, it splashes. And that's, that, that, that's me overflowing in love towards others. Now, that's just my brain. You can have your own images, and the Spirit will help you with that. But spend time where you just drink from that infinite well because that's the most basic need in your heart. And see, this is not only the best thing you can do for your relationships, it's the best thing you can do for you. It really, this is how we're supposed to live. Uh, it, amen. It is. Most people live life out of, a, out of a center of desperation trying to get full. But in God's design, we're supposed to live life out of a celebration because we already are full. Uh, all that we do should be done not as a neediness to get, but as an expression of who we already are. That, uh, life was meant to be lived as a dance, you know, not, not as this, this survival struggle that's been reduced to. Uh, and, and so, you know, in fact, when Jesus says, uh, when the sun sets free, is free indeed. This is what he's talking about. Because living life with this addiction to uh, idols, living life with this perpetual hunger, living life participating in this idolatry feeding frenzy, that, that's bondage. That, that, those are chains. That, that's not the way life was supposed to be lived. But when you can get your core need for all of your worth, significance, love, and security met out of your relation with God, now you are free to live life with open palms. You no longer need to be clinging, grasping, wondering, jealous, and, and, and in competition with others. Now you, you are free, and whom the Son says free is free indeed. That is how life was meant to be lived. Best thing you can do for your relationships, for you, and for the world is to invest deeply into this vertical relationship. And now enter into all that you do and all, all you know and who you know. Enter into it with a full heart rather than an empty heart and expressing who you are rather than trying to constitute who you are. All right, so we're going to uh, enter this time of communion now. Another worship set and, and this time of communion. And it, 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 the, it, it, the communion is a renewal of our covenant. We, rem we remember what Jesus did for us and what we're called to do in response. Um, and it's all about reconnecting with our God as our center, center of our life. Uh, we, we take the elements, the bread and the cup, which represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And when we take those in, we're, we're ingesting them, right? And they become part of who we are. And let that remind us that the love that's expressed on Calvary is to be the center of all that we're about, the center of our identity, the most fundamental reason why we feel good about life and good of ourselves and get up in the morning. It's what God thinks about us as revealed on the cross. So you take that in deeply. And as we do that, we're also recommitting to the cause of, of, of Christ. And, and so let's, let's do it as with a commitment to the love that we receive is the love that we're going to give. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. It sums that, that all up. So in the night when she was betrayed, Jesus took the bread that they were to eat, totally regular bread, and he gave it eternal significance. When he broke that bread, and he said, this bread is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And so whenever you come together and eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Um, that broken body represents the infinite extreme to which God was willing to go to, to, to love us and to rescue us. And it expresses the infinite perfection of the love that God has for us, which is the same love he has for himself. And so as we take this bread, ingest that love. Just let that love be the center. Let it fill you up. Same way he took the cup and 
said this cup is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. And so whenever you come together and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. The spilled blood of Jesus it expresses the perfect love of God, the love that he is and the love that he has for us. And so as we ingest this, as we take this in, let it serve to, to remind us to be, to be taking in, ingesting the fullness of life and love and worth and security that comes from knowing God. And as we take, do all this, do it with the commitment that now as you receive it, so you will dispense it. You live life not out of a center of desperation, but out of a center of a celebration for what God has already done for us. Amen. Uh, we here at Woodland Hills have uh, what's sometimes called open communion, which means we just don't do any background checks on who gets to take communion. Uh, if you consider yourself a believer, we're not going to second guess that. Jesus didn't do any background checks in the Last Supper, and Judas was there. So, you know, we're cool. We're cool. Uh, and, but, uh, uh, yes, we encourage you to, to join us with this. The tables are here in the middle. All the bread is gluten-free for those whom that is a concern. And, and so let's enter into worship and drink deeply from the infinite well of God's love as we exalt him. And, and when you feel ready, you can get up and just go and take the elements. If you're here with some friends and, or family, you can go together and take it together. Um, and, and then just keep focused on the Lord as we let him pour his life into us and we reflect it back to him in the form of praise. Holy Spirit, come, be present here, tangible. Uh, Lord, help us to have open hearts. Help us to take the lid off of our hearts. Help us to see you as you really are and to trust you. And pour all your spirit, pour all your life into us. In Jesus' name, amen. you love him this morning? you love him this morning? Hallelujah. I think worship is just what the love that God is looks like when it's filtered through created beings. It gets expressed as worship. And there's such a fullness of life in Christ, isn't there? It, it's, uh, to have found that is to found the treasure of all treasures of all treasures. Praise God. If you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, um, I encourage you to come up here to the front, and we'll have some prayer teams by the stairs here, and they'd love to pray with you over whatever that need may be. Uh, don't walk out here carrying that on your own. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus Christ, I really encourage you to consider becoming one. You don't know what you're missing. You don't have to go through life with that emptiness that you have, that hunger that you have. You can get full of life in Christ Jesus. And so if, that's, if something's pulling on you to do that, come up here and talk to these folks uh, at the front of the auditorium, and they'd love to explain to you what it is to begin that walk with God. As we go out of here, kingdom people, can we do it as, as a people who are committed, first and foremost, to always be shoring up that vertical relationship, making space to allow God to pour his fullness of life, love, significance, security uh, into our hearts that we can go through life not as a desperate need to get, but out of a celebration because we got. <laughs> we already got. God bless you guys. Go out. Live like a dance. Amen.